Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say It Loud Podcast Network, where black and brown voices truly matter. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just a Thought with Sheree Nicole. I have the esteemed pleasure and honor of uh, spending some time with content creator, songwriter, producer, brand manager, social and political activist, turned tech founder, Isaac Hayes III. Welcome to Just a Thought. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And first of all, I love the fact that you you do a lot of different things. You do it all. And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine earlier today about versatility and how, you know, in, in the industry, sometimes people are very intentional about pigeonholing other people. And you do a, a myriad of a lot of different things. So let me ask you, were you always somebody who owned all of your abilities or did it take some time for you to really figure out, Hey, I'm good at a lot of different things and I'm going to go for it in all these different areas. I think it was about discovery. I mean, um, I, you know, I knew I started as a songwriter producer, Mm -hmm. but I was an entrepreneur. So I've always been, you know, had jobs, you know, I'm always, I was the kid that went and cut grass, you know, and, and to buy, have money to buy pizza and video games, you know, I help people move. So I've always been that kind of kid. Um, and, you know, as an adult, you got to make money. So I've always been a hustler, per se. Whatever wherever I can make a dollar doing, I would do. So um, from writing, producing, learning how to mix records and engineer records. And so being able to have a job at a studio or learn how to use Photoshop. I've just, you know, I've amassed in a, 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 an array of skills over the last 21 years um, that, that helped me get to this point. And it's interesting when you talk about the the mowing of the lawns and doing what you had to do to to, to make a coin, so to speak. And your father is, is was an icon. And so, where do you yeah. think that spirit came from? Because some people would argue, well, his father was Isaac Hayes, so I mean, he didn't have to do all those things. Why would he want to do that? He could just, you know, he could just rest because, on the 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 fame of his of his father. Well, number one, my parents didn't treat me like that, mm. so it didn't matter. That was that's that's their money, not my money. You know, that's what that's what they teach you. That's that's my money. You earn your own money. <laughs> um, and so if you want things like, you know, you can't be the kid that asks for everything all the time. If you want something, then you got to work for it. So they taught me to work for what I want. So, I mean, I think their, their tutelage and education taught me that. They weren't going to give me, you know, whatever I asked for. They make me earn it. And let me ask you, what was the best piece of collective advice they gave you? And what was the best piece of advice they gave singularly that they gave you? Collectively, to, to, to know the business of music. Like before getting in, in, in the music industry, just knowing the business of music. Um, I think, um, you know, both of them went through my father's bankruptcy together. So understanding you know, trusting people and, and having your business in order and stuff like that was something that collectively they taught me. Um, my, my mom always taught me spiritual things, you know, go with your gut. If it's for you, the door will open right away. Mm. Um, you know, 
believe in yourself, have faith, real, real, real spiritual, um, um, and a real spiritual ideology. My dad, he was very uh, cerebral. So, you know, use logic and reason, patience. Um, definitely taught me to, um, about publishing music. Publishing was very, very important. So, you know, he focused a lot on that because he went through hardships with owning his, his publishing. Um, so I was, we've always been a family that's been, you know, focused on making sure that the business was correct and whatever I did. And you talked about kind of learning the ropes musically. What would you say? I mean, we're, I feel like we're in a different, a unique time in music right now. Um, and you add COVID on top of it and it's a whole nother beast. What would you say, how, how would you kind of describe the current state of music? What are some of the glows and grows about what we're seeing and hearing right now? I mean, I don't, you know, I think music is in a tough spot, you know, honestly, because the, the industry focuses on the marketing is the music and then the, the money is touring. So mm, yeah. it's kind of, people are dropping records, granted they're doing things, but now the ability to follow that up, to monetize that success that you have off the records that you drop, that's where it's tough. So um, I think musically, you know, as far as making money, it's hard. From the, the standpoint of black music and culture, I think it is in the best place it's ever been because during COVID people are really sitting still and understanding the influence, especially of black music, like the effect that it has on the culture, the effect that the dances have on TikTok with music, the effect that D-Nice has had DJing on Instagram, the effect that Versus has had with all these legacy black artists bringing their, their, their catalog and their content back to life and bringing a lot of attention, all the great things they did. So I think from a, from a, a standpoint of represent, representation, it's the best time ever for black music. Mm. It's interesting you say that. I agree on that point, but I have to ask you this because you are a, a songwriter and a producer mm -hmm. from an editorial, uh, lyricism, melodic standpoint. Do you have that same optimism about where music is right now? And if so, why? I think, you know, you remember being a kid and going to the movies and your parents saying, Oh, they made this movie back in like 1950-something. <laughs> it was different actors, different title, same plot, yeah. right? We have to remember that music is such a young person's genre. Mm. So the songs that sound redundant to us, a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 15, a 16-year-old is hearing those melodies, those lyrics, those songs for the first time. So I'm, I'm cognizant of that. I also understand that I'm, I've always been very open to all genres of music. I mm -hmm. listen to classical music, you know, I listen to country, I listen to rock, pop, rap, whatever. So how I tell people is none of us have the, the right to intellectually qualify or quantify art. Mm. It's either for you or it's not. Mm -hmm. So when someone says that song is trash, no, the, the song isn't trash, it's just not for you because music is a spectrum because something can be really, really pop, something can be really, really harsh, something can be, you know, um, really complex and complicated. So um, with that being said, you know, um, what we can debate is whether or not 
within the confines of the music industry will that song be successful mm. so when when who heard wow right yeah when i go call some of my friends out but some of my friends that heard wow for the first time like yo that song is garbage <laughs> and when i heard it i said oh this song is gonna blow up like this song is gonna be gonna make a lot of money because i understood what it meant for women i understood the moment it meant the freedom you know the energy is COVID. i knew the song was gonna be on repeat so I understand what that meant. So men might view it differently than women view it, right? Yeah. And then older women view it differently than younger women. So, um, you know, those are the things that we can debate whether or not it'll be monetarily successful. But from an art perspective, we can't judge that. I tell my friends all the time. I told I told one of my friends who used to talk about music the same way. He had a he had a um, he had a, 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 a daughter, and I did a test one day, and I said she drew right mm -hmm. i went on the internet and found a picture of the mona lisa and i mm -hmm. found a picture of a stick figure right and held them both up and i said which one do you like <laughs> and she pointed to the stick figure right mm -hmm. we all know the mona lisa is one of the greatest paintings of all time <laughs> but to a child the stick figure spoke to her yeah so that's what you have to think about with music you have to think about that you know, certain records and certain songs are going to speak to people and they're not. We have to remember this is a young person's game. These are young people hearing these records and these songs for the first time. So, you know. So let me ask you on that same point, when we look about, when we think about kind of balancing the scales, is it more, should I think about this more from a marketing standpoint to, to be a little bit more um, open to some of the things I'm hearing versus a messaging standpoint? Do you think there's a, there's, an issue with some of with some of the messaging with music now or are you still in that hey it's for if it's for you it's not if it's not you know if it is for you it is for you i've always been an artist so i've never wanted to censor people and what they say mm -hmm. i always felt that music got a different music faced a double standard that comedy and movies didn't face mm, great point there could be vulgar and violence in movies or or vulgarity and comedy and no one would say oh my god the youth you know what I mean? It was, yeah. it was more, you can't watch Richard Pryor. You can't watch Eddie Murphy. But we watched it anyway. And it didn't affect us one way or another, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I grew up in the, the death row era. So, you know, the songs that I was listening to was, you know, they're, they're, just, as, they're just as vulgar, if not more vulgar then, than they are now. Yeah. And so that didn't really affect me. I didn't grow up. I didn't, it, it didn't affect me to the point that all I, you know, every word out of my mouth can just be bitch and hoe. Like, <laughs> I just can't so, um, so yeah, no, I, you know, I don't, since, since we have such access to music now, since we have a lot more access to music and kids have more access, I understand about being mindful. I think it just makes it harder to parent. If you mm. have children, isolate your kids. You have a you have a, a tougher responsibility now than your parents. Your parents just knew your parents knew where all the sources of of vulgarity would come from. Okay, the radio, the record player, the television, Playboy magazine. Like we got those covered. And four, we good. Yeah, you understand. But now it's the internet, and then on the internet, it's all these other places and all these other things. So it's a little different. You know, wow. it's a little harder. I like that point you make. I f I'm feeling very enlightened right now. I feel like you're making some really, really solid points. I'm gonna have to go in and kind of just uh, be a little bit more, be a little bit more open now that we've had this this dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I want to ask you too. I mean, as a black business owner, not just a black, but a black male business owner, um, mm -hmm. what has been your mantra for success? 
Um, this simple formula of opportunity meeting preparation. I think that one, the things that most people do is they make success about themselves and not more about the opportunities that you'll have in life to be successful. Mm. So think of, it as, think of it as, let's say life gives you 40 buses, right? Mm-hmm. And the first three or four you let go by because you know you have 37 more. But bus number two was the bus that was going to take you all the way through life, the most amazing journey, the most amazing career, but you let that one pass, right? And yeah. so I've always been the person to say, take every ride. Every opportunity that presents itself, don't let one go by because you never know where it will lead you. So um, a lot of people, you know, don't do that. They understand, oh, I'll have another shot or I'll have another shot. Okay, this, I'm, yes, why don't you come down and, 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 and work at this particular place and, and no, nah, I don't want to do that. I'll let that one go by when you never know what could have come from that opportunity. Because yeah. things manifest and change and they grow and you never know what's going to happen. So to be, to be, um, to be cognizant of that, like, you know, the, the opportunities that I've had in my life that I've been successful, it was simply other things that people decided they were too good to do or took too long to do. Mm. And I was like, let's do it. And I mean, I've had several instances in my life where the opportunity was minuscule at best, but it literally led to millions of dollars worth of, of, of residual income or a residual opportunity from, from doing the little things. Can you, can you share one of those instances with me, if you don't mind? Um, yeah, so, so really how I got into the music business. So I was producing, starving producer, like had a roommate. I was pawning my equipment. Wow. So pay my bills, right? And this particular time I had pawned my equipment and my manager called me and said, hey, look, Rough Riders is doing ride or die volume four. Now this ain't one or two or three, it's four. So it's like, <laughs> towards the end of the Rough Riders, right? They have an artist named Flashy Freddy, right? And he recorded, he recorded a rap to one of your beats. And they're like, they're gonna pay us $8,000 for the beat, right? And I'm like, cool. <laughs> but I told my manager, like my, my, my equipment's in the pawn shop. Okay, they're gonna, they're gonna wire you the money to get your music out of the pawn shop to track the beat out. Cause this is before, you know, uh, 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 Fruity Loops, you had to track the beat out. So I tracked the beat out, sent it to him, mixed it, we made the album. Cool, that was an opportunity that I could have let pass by, right? Because it wasn't the big artist, right? Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen producers that I know that were parallel on my level at the time turn down opportunities like that. So anyway, Ride or Die Volume 4 comes out. I don't even think it went gold, did anything, you know? But I only got half the money, I only got the front end, I never got paid the back end, right? Wow. But the manager of the rapper that I did the beat for wind up being the music supervisor for Chris Robinson on ATL. Wow. So he called me up and he called my manager. He's like, look, we're doing this movie about like roller skating in Atlanta, but I'm in LA and everybody keeps sending us these West Coast beats. There's Isaac Hammond beats. So I started sending them beats and I sent them like four beats and they take two and I sent them five and they take three. And before you know it, I had like eight songs, eight instrumentals um, placed in a ATL in the movie, right? And this is wow. at this time, this is Steve, this is still me trying to figure it out. But at that time, I had still I had produced some records, but I had done this record on a little scrappy called Money in the Bank. And so they went out on anger management and um they had gone on gone out on anger management and um 
Young Buck got on the record. So then when I got a mixed and mastered copy of the record, I leaked it. But one of the things that I also did was I sent it to Chris Robinson and them, and it got licensed to be an ATM. Wow. So I had something that I put in the in the film. So it was licensed in the movie as well. So one of the cool things about that was I had eight records, and then I gave the other record, which wound up being gold for Lil Scrappy, it was a hit record, um, licensed to be in that film. And then from that, T-Pain uses part of that record in Buy You a Drink, which went on and sold like six million records. And then we got a piece of the publishing of that record, right? And that still gets licensed and stuff like that to this day. So the decision to do you know, Rough Riders, Ride or Die, Volume Four. Wow, <laughs> broke me into the music industry and 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 led to my production career and me understanding about licensing music for TV and film and producing and owning parts of these records and publishing. So those, what I mean, are those are the buses you have to take. If I wouldn't have done that, I have no idea, you know, what my you know, what my music career would have been. I have no idea. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm, I'm thinking about ATL now, like, oh, okay, now I know who's responsible for the for most of the vibe of that film when we talk yeah. about the music. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So we have music success, and then we're, we, which we which you still do have, but you also have fan base. So mm -hmm. talk me through kind of how fan base came about, you know, from, from the conception to also the fundraising component and, and what ultimately you want people who utilize this service to get out of using this app. So fan base started from two things. One, um, a friend of mine told me, hey, look, man, you have a vibrant personality. You should get on Twitch, right? Twitch is a great platform. People are doing things like in real life content on Twitch. Um, you should definitely do that. But there's only a catch. You have to like broadcast like 16 hours a day. And it's like wow. some big brother shit. I was like, I don't have time to do that. I'm managing my dad's estate. I'm working on a bunch of other things. I don't have time to do that. But the model for Twitch is, it was like 50-50 rev share, and they had these things called Twitch bits. And, and streamers, people could give streamers Twitch bits, right? Like, okay, I can give you bits. So it's like, but it, it's real money. They mm. take those bits, cash them out into real money. So I was thinking about that. And then secondly, there was this kid from Memphis named Ghetto Spider who went viral for dancing to AHA Take On Me in a GameStop in a Spider-Man costume. You might've seen the video. <laughs> Or whatever, but he went viral. So he was he's from Memphis. I was born in Memphis. So I'm just like, whenever I see somebody from my hometown or anybody be, be successful, I just shot him a DM like, yo, um, that's dope. Like, you know, congratulations. And his immediate response was, Are you a manager? I'm like, you know, I manage some writers and artists and stuff like that before, but not like a personality. He goes, I really need a manager, right? And I said, Okay, well, send me your number and let's talk about it. He goes, Okay, like, you know, cool, right? And I got off that, that DM or whatever, and I, and I didn't call him, but I left the conversation thinking, wow, this kid has this viral moment. He doesn't know what to do with his fame, and he doesn't own the Spider-Man costume, so he can't monetize Spider-Man, but what he should be able to do is monetize his dancing ability. Mm -hmm. But from that, I said, man, we need like an Instagram but that, that, lets, that you can follow people, but but also people should be able to subscribe to you. We need a social media platform that lets people subscribe, follow you if they want to for free, right? But if they want to support your, your content, subscribe to you. So that's the birth of fan bases where it's a platform where it's similar to, 
all the other social networks, but you can follow people for free, but then you can subscribe to exclusive content that you deem for subscribers. So you don't feel left out. Um, and you can like and love content on fan base, meaning, you know, you can like it for free, but if you love it, you can give the person some love and every love is about half a penny. Hmm. And so the model for the platform is a 50, 50 rev share at three ninety nine. So you take home about $2 per subscriber. Um, and we like to keep it low and we like to keep everybody at the same price so that it just doesn't create confusion. It doesn't create this competitive market of this person's doing this, this person's doing that. It's just base. And it's more about, it's, 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 it's banking on volume, a volume of users, right? A, a volume of, of users subscribing to people at a low price is really what will make the benefit of the platform real good. And you got to think about um, the 5% of your, your social network following is your fan base. That's, those are your core fans. So if you have a million followers, you have 50,000 fans. And 50,000 fans paying you $2 a month is about $100,000 a month. Mm. That's like almost $1.2 million a year. So think about that. If you focus on those people, that is your millionaire just based on that, that formula. That's what led to the creation of the app. As far as fundraising, um, I, it cost me, I spent about six months building fan base and about, well, probably about eight months building fan base and about $200,000 of my own money. Mm. Now, fortunate enough for me in, in tech, you get to bootstrap. So I was able to bootstrap um, and use my music royalties, like take advances on my royalties and, um, and, and take, uh, and, uh, and, and pay for this so that I could, could build this platform. Mm. So, um, from there, uh, COVID hit, you know, we've had the platform up for a year. I wanted to prove that the concept worked. And at the time I didn't want to step out as a black founder because I hadn't raised any money and I just wanted to see if the concept worked. And I wanted people to say, wow. It's the black Instagram, right? Wow, that's interesting. But it, but, it, but I wanted the people just I wanted people to just to use it to prove that it worked. Because if I'm walking in a room and saying, "Hey, invest in this company," the first thing I'm going to say is, "Well, you're Isaac Hayes the third. You have all these followers. You know all these people. So how do we know it's not because because of, of the fact that you just told a whole bunch of people to use it?" Yeah. So I left it alone and let people um, organically have proof of concept and make money, and people started making money. So now I said, let's raise money. And then COVID hit and then everything kind of just paused. But in that space, um, I had a mentor um, uh, by the name of, of, and still have by the name of Monique Idolette. Um, and, and Monique was married to Timberland and she's in the tech space as well. And so she's always been a fan of what I was doing at Fanbase. She says, you know what? You should try um, this crowdfunding thing that uh that another another friend of hers named angela benton who has a platform called streamlytics did and she said you know you can raise money um on this platform called start engine and that's what she did and angela raised a million dollars in like eight days and i wow. remember started another one of my friends by the name of dawn dixon she had raised a million dollars twice once on start engine or crowdfunding once on start engine a million dollars and so i knew how it worked so Angela made the connection, the, the call to start engine and say, hey, check out this guy, Isaac Hayes and his, his product fan base. Um, and then um, I got accepted. And then Dawn mentored me on how to raise because Dawn taught Angela 
and Dawn taught me. So those three women, those three black women, Moni, Come on Ida, now. Dawn, yes, black women, <laughs> Angela Benton are the reason that I raised this money. And I say that all the time. Uh, and I'm always um, so appreciative of black women um, in their assistance, their willingness to assist, their willingness to, to share information and be um, resourceful and helpful. And I predominantly work with women because women simply just get things done. You know, that's what that's what well, they, we, we do. I, I don't mean to, you know, get in my bag, but we definitely do. <laughs> yeah. So we launched on Start Engine after Dawn's, um, Dawn's coaching. We launched on Start Engine at the very beginning of November in about three weeks, um, about two and a half weeks, we raised about three hundred thousand dollars. And then I had a relationship, um, have a relationship with Charlemagne and got to do the Breakfast Club. And so I did the Breakfast Club interview and got the chance to talk about fan base. And from there, the rest is history with that. We, we raised, um, we completed the raise at a million dollars. We raised over $700,000 in a day, which is like the second most wow. money raised on Start Engine. And then we overraised, which is a good thing. We overraised an extra $1.5 million. Um, so in totality, we raised $2.5 million for the platform. So we're funded beyond expectation. Um, and so that's just... You know, and that's what I mean by opportunity, meaning preparation, like the opportunity arose to be a part of Start Engine. Mm -hmm. I was prepared with the product that I built. And that's just a simple formula. Wow, that's amazing. And, and let me ask you, because people may, you know, we have a lot of people that are buying followers um, on platforms mm -hmm. like Instagram and things like that. And, and you know, you're your platform is cool because people can hop on there for free, but also it's subscription based as well. So yeah. what would you say to people who, because it sounds to me like, the responsibility is still on the person to organically build their base. Is that correct? Do you guys offer anything where somebody can get a, a, a boost by, Hey, contributing? I know, I don't know, $10 or so to their account, however it will work to get more followers or is it, Hey, it's your responsibility to organically continue to build your audience. And because of that, you'll reap the rewards of monetization. If you keep pushing, is that really the mantra behind it? That's really the mantra because that's what, that's what most platforms are. And to bring to to bring up another one of our competitors, but the um, OnlyFans is a competitor simply because it is a subscription model. We don't do nudity mm -hmm. or pornography at fan base, but the women that are on that platform are some of the best marketers. They drop that link in their bio, in their stories. They talk about it all the time. Like they know how to use leverage their following to drive people to their platform to turn those people into subscribers. And so anybody that wants to do that, that's what you have to do. You have to put in the work. We built the platform. We, we built the, the, the infrastructure to monetize. Now you have to put in the work. And the person that, that figures that out first on Fanbase will be the person that does the best. Because as the people come in and get the, the rush and influx of people coming into the platform, those are the people that are going to reap the rewards the best. Every platform got to have a Tila Tequila. Everybody yeah. has that one person, like how Ashton Kutcher was on Twitter. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Tequila Tequila was on MySpace. Somebody's going to take advantage of that environment and turn up. That's a great, great point you raise. And let me, you know, have you ever experienced on this road? Because, I mean, it, just in talking to you, I'm getting more excited about fan base myself. And to me, it, it makes no shade, but it makes more sense than some of these other platforms. And everything has its place. But especially yeah. with the time that we're in and me being a content creator, things like that to me are more attractive than just, okay, I'll give something my time. And yeah, maybe or maybe not, I might not monetize it. But I feel like with fan base, you can see what's going on. You can see as you grow based on revenue you bring in, okay, you're, you're, you're on the right track. 
have you experienced any resistance from other competitive quote unquote um, platforms that you've had to kind of work through some challenges with, or have people kind of just let you do your thing and you work and you work it out as you do? I'm a small guy right now. And I, and I, and I, and I respectfully take that position because Instagram's a behemoth, you know, Patreon, OnlyFans, these are enormously huge companies. So I just have my work to do now that I've raised money, like these companies have raised money. I have my job to do now in, in taking uh, this invested capital and, and scaling the company. So no, nah, I, I think, I think um, we definitely pose an alternative to those platforms because we want to provide creator, I call them creator tools. So we're definitely like podcasting will be part of fan base. And what I mean by that is being able to upload a podcast and get subscribers, you know, immediately, not like running ads. And some people with podcasts, like they build podcasts, they don't know how to monetize from the gate. And I want to be able to be able to monetize. Like I have a podcast, support my podcast, right? And on Patreon, what you see from white creatives on that platform is they do enormously well. I know there's a podcast on Patreon that makes $169,000 a month. What? I've never heard of it. Yeah. But here's the reason why. Unlike black creatives, white creatives are not ashamed to ask people to pay them for their content because it doesn't come from a place of I'm broke, like, or I'm begging, which we think and believe, right? Mm -hmm. We think if I ask people for money, it's gonna look like I'm struggling. We're prideful. We want to make our shit look good and that we don't need no help, right? We yeah. popping, what are we doing? But what we have to understand and what we, we should recognize is there is a community of people that, that are transactional and want to support you and want to give you money and want to see you, to see you be successful. Now, granted, you have your job to do to create the best podcast you can make. But if you do that, you will have a community that will support you and be able to monetize your platform. Wow, this is good stuff. I and I'm, you know, I'm I'm just now venturing into the podcast space. So yeah. I'm as you're talking, I'm soaking and saying, like, yeah, I need to do this, I need to do that. That's right, that's right. Um, what would you say too to to creatives? Maybe they don't have a podcast, but they have a certain level of ability. They might be really good in front of the camera. You know, with COVID, everybody's trying to figure it out, trying to pull some of those gifts off the shelf and actually utilize them. Um, and black mm -hmm. creatives in particular, what would be your advice to them on how to how to monetize? their gifts, their brand, their work, especially those that are just starting out and really may not see the results that they think they should be seeing right now. Two things, black culture drives social media. And far too often we wind up the engine that grows these platforms, but then when they get to a certain position, we are marginalized to make space for other people, but we're the engine that blew it up. So me being a black founder, I understand that I put our culture front and center and understand that as I grow, black culture won't be pushed to the back. It will equally share stage with everybody who I want on the platform. Doesn't matter what political affiliation, what race, you know what I'm saying, what gender, all ages above of 13 and up, um, we want to provide that environment. So for me, that's all um, my, um, I think that um, for creatives, like I said, we provide photo, video, live, and long form and stories, but long form mainly, which is really, really cool because we provide 
the ability to post up to one hour's worth of long form content. Wow. Um, 15 minutes from the phone, one hour from the desktop. So in, in essence, we've given everybody the ability to be their own Netflix. If you put your ass into making a great short film or a great series or a great visual podcast, you're your own Netflix. Now you have subscribers and you monetize and you own your content. You call the shots and you make the lion's share of the profit. And so providing those creator tools for anybody to be able to do that, but not forcing the paid option on everyone. You can follow all these people, but dang, I really love that podcast. I want to support them. I'm subscribed to that for this month or for four months or however long you stay, but it gives people the ability to make money in, in off the, uh, off the content that they create. Wow. So how do people who are, who are sold off this interview, like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm sold. I'm going with fan base. How can they get plugged in and get started? <laughs> well, two things you can still invest, right? So even though um, we've reached our goal, I'm going to leave the, the, the wait list open until um, we probably reach about 3 million. So there's about half a million more of investment available for people to invest in. That's one. Um, so you can still invest at startengine.com slash fan base. Um, just click join the wait list. And it's just like buying stock. It'll just be waitlisted. And we legally can't accept the funds because it's over 1 million. But in January, the SEC passed a law that upped it from $1 million to $5 million that I can wow. accept. I'll just be able to accept those dollars at a later date. Um, so we'll do that then in January. And, and then go to the Apple App Store and download Fanbase. It's a, it's a, it's a nice red and purple and, and, and violet uh, icon with a white F lightning bolt. Um, and we started working on the Android version today. So Android will be coming out first quarter 2021 um, and, and make a page and, and start creating content and, and then start driving your audience to those spaces. Because like I said, we're all a fan of something and everyone has the fan base. So that's, that's really our model. Everyone is a fan of something, you know, and everyone has a fan base. So whether or not you love Louis Vuitton or Nike or Cardi B, right? <laughs> cool. But we ourselves have a fan base. It might be five subscribers or it might be 500,000. But someone is going to get on that platform and discover that I have a knack for creating content and it's going to resonate with an audience and they're going to become wealthy from that. And that's what I'm, I'm banking on this new generation, a new era of creatives to do that. I love that. What has been your formula for not just surviving through, but thriving through failure? Faith, first and foremost, you got to be grounded in faith because, you know, people are not going to believe what you do, right? And even in the process of me building fan base, there are people that are like, well, what? I don't get it. <laughs> right? But I saw other companies like raise money. I saw Patreon raise money. I saw these, like, they got ideas. I got ideas, you know? Um, so you have to have that, like your mental about it's about on you, because if enough people tell you, you know, they don't think it'll work or they don't get it, then you might give up. Right. So you got to really be focused on your dream. You know what I'm saying? You know, block out all the, the naysayers because trust and believe the same people that weren't checking for me invested in fan base. They bought stock when they saw it moving, they saw that number growing. They were like, oh, let me let me invest. I don't got phone calls all day. Tell me about this fan base. Is it too late to invest? 
I'm like, we love it. We'll take it. We love all of it. I'm happy about all of it. So, you know, you just got to turn people into believers, but that's, that's really, um, you know, how I, how I, um, I think, you know, move through failure, right? It's just, it's faith. You got to believe, man, you can't, you can't stop, you know, you got to keep going and don't give in. And honestly, don't give yourself a reason to fail. And mm. this is just me. I've been a lifetime. I've been a lifetime entrepreneur. Like I didn't go to college. I'm just run off a couple of things. I didn't go to college. Right. Two, I had a nine to five job that I worked for two years. I used to ride the bus like an hour and a half to work and walk every day, rain, sleet or snow for two years. Wow. And I quit that job in 1996 saying two things. I never want to ride public transportation ever again. And I never want to work for another person in my life. And I have not done either since February of 1996. Wow. I know people are like, why are you ride the bus? Well, it's just a thing. I could take me so long to get to work. I said, I swear I'll never wait on another bus again. A car gets me there faster. I'm taking it. So that's it. So you know what I'm saying. So that that that's my that's my model for uh, being successful. Don't give yourself an opportunity to fail. Take those leaps, those jumps. I did not have a choice. Once I quit my job, you know what I'm saying. Once I moved out of my mama house and got a roommate and got an apartment, and we had the first month's rent, you don't have a choice. Yeah. And every day is no time to like chill. Ain't no time to really go kick it at the club. None of that. It's like, I got to go to work. I got to figure out how to make this money. So that's what we did. Well, you have, um, you made a believer out of me. And I, and I thank you for the advice. And as we kind of close things out, you know, we're going into a new year, a new president, a lot of things happening on the political front, on the, the yep. racial and social justice and or injustice front. What are your mm -hmm. uh, closing thoughts about those things as we move into 2021? Well, I mean, first and foremost, two things from from a large standpoint, we got an opportunity to change this country. Right. And often we complain about what does what, what did this president or that president or that president do for us? Black people, women, gays, Latinos, whatever it is. Right. One of the things that makes all the things that they do possible is a Congress and a Senate that matches their party. Yeah. So right now we have a Democratic House, we have a Democratic president, and we have an opportunity to have a Democratic Senate. And so we have this important race in Georgia. Georgia went blue for the first time in 28 years, which on a local level shows people that their vote does matter. More Black youth voted for Joe Biden in Georgia than any state in the country. Wow. So we can, we can the, the Black youth of this nation can understand that their voice mattered and, and, and that they um, made this election uh, possible. So Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff are running for two Senate seats in January. January 4th, I think, is the election. I'm going to make sure I remember. I know the early voting starts on the 14th um, in Georgia. So even if you don't live here, call your friends, tell them, like, look, get your ass up and go vote. <laughs> and, and something else that's more important for the Black community, I want you to, say, I want you to take this into account. Nancy Pelosi is a smart woman. She passed decriminalization of marijuana in the house, right? Yeah. There's no way that it's gonna pass in the Senate, mm -hmm. right? So what that means is in the new year, the house will have to vote on it again and then the Senate will vote. So she's basically saying, if we have a democratic Senate, we will be able to pass 
Weed decriminalization. That means if you have weed charges, they're thrown out. If you are in jail for weed right now, you get out and you won't be criminalized for weed ever again. So to black people that have been over-criminalized and over-prosecuted and over-jailed for weed in Georgia as well, understand that. So she just basically said she incentivized black people and people that like to smoke weed <laughs> to get out and vote. So make sure that you get your butt out in Georgia and vote so we can have this Democratic Senate. So you can't say that Joe Biden didn't do anything for black people. He couldn't because he had a Republican Senate. So we well, got to vote. We got to vote. You guys also got to uh, check out fan base. You got to keep the faith. You got to invest in yourself. And you got to take advantage of all of your opportunities. That was uh, the root of what we talked about, amongst other things. Isaac Hayes III, I want to thank you so much for your time and, and hanging thank out you. with me and, and visiting me at Just a Thought and all the, the jewels that you dropped. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This is Just a Thought, hosted and produced by Sheree Nicole in association with Sheree Nicole Media and the Say It Loud Podcast Network. In addition to Apple Podcasts, Just a Thought is also available right now on Stitcher and Radio.com. And make sure that you subscribe and rate us and also tell a friend. You can follow the Just a Thought podcast on Instagram at Just a Thought Show and on Twitter at Just a Thought Win. That's W-I-N. You can also follow me, Sheree Nicole, on Instagram and Twitter. Same handle, Sheree underscore Nicole. S-H-A-R-I underscore N-Y-C-O-L-E. Say It Loud Podcast Network, where black and brown voices truly matter. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.